0: Today is October 21st, 2018. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Ghanai, and Bigani of the Confederacy. These lands are now on Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, now Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations, and the Sutina Nation. I acknowledge all Indigenous that are First Nation, Métis, Inuit status or non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just can share what I think I know as I walk down the red road. My name is Michelle Robinson. I was born in Calgary as Michelle Elliot, a very another another very English name, which has afforded me great privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution, while having an Indian Act imposed status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty Seven Signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty eleven. I'm native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to the area of Clincho Tene Indahay in Dene, meaning many horse town, named after the Calgary Stampede. My spirit name is Red Thunder Woman, which you'll find me on twitter under native calgarian and that was given to me in ceremony my patreon account is native calgarian where you can pledge in support and i'd like to say thank you to amanda amy ariel ashley beatrice charmaine diana dustin Joni, judy julie kenna matt nathan sharon tiffany and veronica thank you for signing up if you value listening and can afford to give thank you for those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments or questions. Uh, we are now on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher as well. NativeCalgarian.com is also up. Violence is an everyday reality I face. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. This is why I started the podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people do not want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs, and usually by people who know nothing about Indigenous, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. Uh, Just typical microaggressions and people dealing with internalized racism. So they become gatekeepers that survive off the status quo and people who are so in their trauma that they stop people from trying to do good work and deplete all the personal resources. Uh, Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. And I don't blame um, Indigenous people at all for you know, those microaggressions and that internalized racism because this is part of the colonial racist construct. And for those who have been listening, I'm hoping that slowly you'll start seeing how that is developed. It is sad I needed a podcast to be heard, but here we are. My hope is one day that my family, my daughter will be proud of, uh, you know, these everyday issues that we're discussing down the road. So I want to put Start by putting cultural safety into action and encourage others to create safer places for, you know, Indigenous, people of colour, LGBTQ2+. And I always start off with a meaningful land acknowledgement because it's not only important that I acknowledge where I, you know, was born and I live, and that even though I'm Indigenous, these ancestors are not, uh, or these lands are not from my ancestors, It's just important to start with that land acknowledgement because um, I want to honor, of course, the Blackfoot and the Treaty 7 signatories for this area. But I also want to create that safer space for Indigenous people. And, uh, you know, creating that safer space for all marginalized people starts off with small things. And they may not mean much to some people, but if you start acknowledging your pronouns, like in my case, they're she and her, that can help many other people who identify under the LGBTQ2 spectrum to realize this might be a safer space. And we don't say safe space because unfortunately, myself included, none of us are perfect. And sometimes we uh, say things that, you know, don't create safe spaces for everybody. So those microaggressions manifest in ignorance and, you know, I'm no exception. So anyway, to start putting some cultural safety into action, I'll say do something. Having good intentions is not enough. You have to take action to make change. So I say that because I hear a lot of people think that they're doing a really great job on Indigenous awareness, but have yet to take any change, take any action to make that change. So for example, policy changes, Um, you know, having regular boundaries for all people to be able to speak, doing a land acknowledgement, bringing in elders, offering tobacco. Most of these things are not part of people's policies. So I would argue until you do something and you take action to make change, you are not making safer spaces for Indigenous to be. You need to speak out against racism. You need to ask questions of those with more understanding, find allies, create a support system for yourself. So for example, if you're in the Calgary area and you're part of my book club, that's a great example of creating that support system. If you're part of some other organizations that are doing some great work in the area on um, you know anti-colonial uh, constructs that they're working on, there's um, I wanna say an organization that's down in community-wise that are working really hard on anti-racism practices and have available that on their website. So, you know, create that support system so that you feel comfortable going back to it if you have questions and that. Take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. Do not expect this learning to come from Indigenous people only. Take time for self-reflection. Beware of your own assumptions and biases. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt the stereotypes. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. I want to say thank you to heretohelp.bc.ca for their What is Indigenous Cultural Safety and Why I Should Care About It Um, link. Uh, Internalized racism is made up because of the external racism that happens here in Canada. So you'll hear people talk about lateral violence, etc. And Donna Bivens from racial has a great example of what is internalized racism. And if you Google internalized racism, you'll come across many different um, examples of what that is. And I actually don't like to focus on it because When people, you know, say, well, this native argued with this native, that somehow justifies their structural racism. And that's not even kind of close. It's actually laughable. But yet, here we are in 2018, and we still hear that. So I want to move on to do's and don'ts for bystander interventions. And we'll thank the American Friends Service Committee for that. If you witness public instances of racism, anti-Black, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, anti-Indigenous, or any other form of oppressive interpersonal violence and harassment, use these tips on how to intervene considering the safety of everyone involved. Do make your presence known as a witness. Uh, make eye contact with the person being harassed and ask them if they want support. Move close to the person being harassed. If you can do so, create a distance and a barrier between the person being harassed and the attacker. If it's safe to do so, the person being harassed consents. films, record the incidents. So, for many people, your bystander intervention—I'm just going to make this very clear—is the difference. How many times do you see bystanders go through because they don't know what to do? This literally is your step by step. We've done this now, you know, over twenty times on this podcast. So, to make it very clear, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm hoping that these are tools that you now have ingrained in your head. How to help somebody if you see them being attacked. Take cues from the person being harassed. Um, Notice if they're resisting and honor that. Follow up with the individual being harassed after it's over. Do everything you can to be safe. Assess your surroundings. Are there other people that you can pull in to support? Working as a team is a good idea if possible. Can you move the person being harassed to a safer space? Don't. Call the police. Many communities experiencing harassment right now, from Arab, Muslim, Black, Queer, Trans, Immigrant, and Indigenous, the police can actually cause a greater danger for the person being harassed. Don't escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person being harassed to safety and not to incite any further you know, verbal violence or physical violence from the attacker. Do not do nothing. Silence is dangerous. It communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry. If you find yourself too nervous to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed to communicate your support with your body. Um, so I wanted to focus this one on a little more about, you know, my own personal healing. I do have a long road of healing. I work on it daily and I hope to share it here as I have found this podcast being uninterrupted has helped in many ways I didn't expect. Um, I've been really focused on the sports calls to action because of the Calgary's bid to the Olympics. I'm still unsure on how to connect to the average Calgarian on this because of the inherent racism and sexism that is pervasive, yet the the denial of those are ridiculous. So as an Indigenous woman in Calgary, um, you know, I've shared my podcast specifically on this and uh, You know, I'm just not hearing much from the average Calgarian. I've gotten a couple of uh, good reviews from both sides, but, you know, again, an Indigenous woman talking about racism in Calgary is not necessarily something that Calgarians want to be a part of, which kind of shows you where we are on this bigger concept of reconciliation and, you know, cultural bridging, which of course is why I had to run because. You know, there are so many people who are still not there. Um, Regardless, I'm trying to find some ways to convey the message. I have a three-part series, uh, book series here from the Aboriginal Healing Foundation, you know, and I stumbled across one of Richard Wagamese's pieces, and it really hit me like a ton ton of bricks because of his words. Um, It was written 10 years ago, and it was written in such a hopeful way. And then, of course, today anyone who knows, Richard Wagamese has passed away. And his words really hit me hard because, you know, he wrote it with so much hope. And yet, you know, now he passed away. And, you know, I don't know if um people are aware why he passed away as well. So that's not really my story to tell. Um, I was reading from in those, in the book series, a little bit from Beverly Jacobs, who's now Dr. Beverly Jacobs. Uh, But she was still with NWAC at the time. And, you know, she was writing on sexism and injustice and the child welfare system in general. And, you know, again, this is 10 years ago, she was writing in these Aboriginal Healing Foundation books. And there was so much hope at that time about what reconciliation could possibly be and the assumption that Canadians would be, you know, reading these works and, and moving on. So anyway, just reminded me of, uh, we had a uh, local Sutina members, uh, Connie and Ty Jacobs. And, you know, they had, um, they were killed in in Sutina. They had uh, child welfare there and the police were there. And there was some kind of snowstorm. And ultimately... Connie was shot and Ty was right there and he was shot and killed as well. So, you know, (laughs) we've been having the exact same recommendations to justice and child welfare long before the TRC calls to action and the pattern, you know, repeats over and over in every year, every report, every decade, and there's still no changes. You know, no Indigenous education or knowledge is on the mind of politicians who have the power to implement these reports. You know, there was a tweet on Twitter with a news article by Tanya uh, Talaga, and she's working on this series called All Our Relations, Finding the Path Moving Forward. And she's also the author of Seven Fallen Feathers, which I did a podcast on and we had a book club. Um, but this article that she's working on right now, uh, the, the health system in Canada's North is failing, but it's not by accident and it's designed to do what it is doing. And I shared it on, um, both, uh, my Twitter and my Facebook page with the link so that you can read it. And I highly recommend you do, but it it speaks a lot on the history of Canada's policies towards indigenous, um, on health from Indian affairs ministers, Uh, From a quote on the TB deaths of Indigenous children to the Indian problem, you know, in quotes, uh, to Indian hospitals, to which I know the average Canadian is completely unaware of. Um, And this is what I talk about when I say non Indigenous Canadians benefit from the structures left in place. You know, our people are still not being taken care of the same as the same care Indigenous people or Canadians receive. So, and this article really shows that structure. It's beautifully written by Tanya, and it goes into the mental health care crisis, and it offers solutions. Uh, From the article, I'm just going to quote this part. Canada is the only G8 country without a national suicide strategy. In Scandinavia, the Sami Psychiatric Youth Club in 1990, in a small town in Norway, Um, in response to a suicide cluster of young Sami men in the mid-80s. By 2001, it had become a critical part of the Sami National Center on Mental Health and Substance Abuse. And she ended her article with a beautiful reminder, if you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free and open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I think it's super critical to remind everybody that, you know, there are services available. Are they great services? I don't know. I would love to hear your experiences. And if you're comfortable, I would read them on air. Um, But I thought it was uh, really, really a great article. Everyone should read it because it talks about the structure of health care on indigenous people by policy. And, you know, uh, there were people I would really admire, Sheila North, she had tweeted out from it. And um, she tweeted, actually, from a quote from within the article, it said, uh, one of his patients, an elder, once told him, I don't want to talk about reconciliation. I want to talk about rights. And the doctor couldn't agree more. He goes, the goal of reconciliation isn't to be friends. Civil rights legislation needs to occur here. So you have to understand the frustration that I have as an Indigenous woman and as so many other Indigenous people here in Canada have. It's not that we hate Justin Trudeau or that we hate Carolyn Bennett or Jane Fontaine or the average Canadian. What we hate is the inaction. What we hate is the, the fact that these reports have been here year after year, report after report, decade after decade. And it's still not being done. And in fact, the worst case scenario is that the term reconciliation is being misused. Uh, There's a tweet out on Twitter and it says, reconciliation is a buzzword from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. What we want is for Canada to uphold its legal and constitutional obligations, which include inherent right land rights and international treaties, unqualified support by Canada, of the United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People, international customary law. And that was Gordon Peters who tweeted that out after quoting Sheila North, which, I mean, so many of us agree. It, of course, there was lots of retweets on that because, you know, Canada needs to understand reconciliation is so much bigger than, than what they understand it to be. Um, you know, so another person on Twitter, um, Kim Weaver, Indigenous folk, hashtag Native Twitter, you need to stop talking about reconciliation. Stop using this term. It is completely co-opted by Canada. It is code for our extinction. Every time you use it, it gives power to our oppressor's narrative. Just stop it. Now I don't blame Kim for, for tweeting this. Of course he tweets this. This article that Tanya put out clearly shows the structure in place to still allow Indigenous people to have unequal rights. In healthcare, just one aspect that Canadians don't even think about, that's not including our land rights, It's not including a million other policies, we're just talking health. But the truth is, because Canada still refuses to see that bigger picture of structural discrimination through legislation, it is killing us, literally it is killing us. So when we use terms like genocide and extinction, we are not making this up. All of the evidence is there. This has been here since the beginning. It's in report after report after report after report. So I quoted him and I, I couldn't agree more. I said, I wish I could disagree, but I can't. I don't see non-Indigenous doing the work. I'm so frustrated. I'm seriously considering moving to Germany and getting a PhD in genocide so that I can write papers on how awful the society that allows Indian residential schools deniers and organizations that use this term reconciliation when they have no idea what it means. They have no plan to work on any of the calls to action, even though it's crystal clear in the volumes of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the reports prior to that, the Aboriginal Healing Foundation, the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples. You know, I see organizations giving themselves a big pat on the back for attending or hosting a blanket exercise. You know. And I'm happy that people put a bit of effort towards learning about Indigenous people in like a 45-minute lens, but that's not reconciliation in a broad sense. And it sure doesn't honor our Indian residential school survivors or those that passed usually a violent death you know this it it's, it's so frustrating to me because i see the these small bits of blanket exercises across the city but it's the same like you know 50 people that go to them that's it you know we don't have you know uh, major oil companies doing them we don't have Small businesses doing it. We don't have nonprofits doing it on a regular basis. Nothing. You know, the fact that Doug, Doug Ford could even cut Indigenous education, like that alone should be outlawed. So these people who attend these blanket exercises. They're not even looking hard at those 94 calls to action. They don't look at their own organizations, their sports teams, their nonprofits, their municipalities, every, you know, the provincial levels of government, man, they have a lot of power with this child welfare portfolio, and I never see change. Um, And they, and and all Canadians need to stop thinking that only the feds are responsible for this. This is literally every single Canadian has to be at the table doing something about it. This is not going to change. The fact that I have to like speak so strongly about the sports calls to action and try to do all of that education for free in the, in the very hopes there will be a couple of people that will see the need to make some major changes across Canada because I'm talking about Calgary hosting the Olympics. But these TRC calls to action have been available since what, 2015? We're on year three. I haven't seen, you know, Hockey Canada put out this huge call to action to make changes to their sports networks, so that that way we can have access to on res and and access across Canada for all kids to enjoy sports. This is so much bigger, you know. When I talked about the sports aspect, it literally was created some of the sports that was available to, to Indian residential schools to so-called civilize them, yet they purposely underfunded it. So. You know, the structures are there in place on purpose. People blame us, but the truth is, is that structure is still there. And you can't say you people need to pick up your bootstraps or whatever bowl you say. You really need to look at yourself. My, my uncle has this really great expression, and he says, for every finger pointing out, there's three pointing back. And it's true. So, well, I think Indigenous people are, you know, exhausted from all of the work that they're doing to try to educate people. Uh, I actually said this in a tweet, the lack of Indigenous education, the bar has been set so low for so long that acknowledging Indigenous or even people is leaps and bounds. Sadly, that's example is why so few Canadians and even new ones are, are open to even seeing Indigenous as people all I see are burnt out indigenous people doing all the heavy lifting on this education for free. And my uh, friend Kimmy, well, I I should say my acquaintance on Twitter. He says, yeah, I'm in bed now, exhausted mainly from the emotional burden. And I said, you know, I got permission from Dr. William Smith to use his paper. He co-authored about racial battle fatigue. I swear all indigenous deserve all the vacations for free, uh, because of how much we suffer under colonialism. Racism is a part of it, but glorification of Canada is impossible to describe for people who don't understand colonialism. You know, you can be um, a brown or a black person who freaking loves Canada and and loves everything about it. You may experience racism every single day, but what is it like to be Indigenous in Canada? and experience not just the racism, but knowing that you'll never have full access again to your land, you'll never have access to your rights, just simply by being born in Canada. To explain colonialism to other people, I, I just can't seem to, you know, be able to grab people by their neck and, and drill it in their head. So, you know, I said, you know, these cuts are open, they're infected, and I hate it, but I understand why the suicide suicide rate is where it is. You know, I wish all Indigenous understood no matter how much we disagree in some ways, our unity is literal survival. And I believe this with all of my heart because, you know, we want to tell the truth and people want to use the term reconciliation, but they have no concept of what the truth is. So, you know, for me, I, of course, I'm still going to use the term reconciliation. And I'm going to be really honest about what that term means, because I think it has become a simple buzzword for some people and they they have no concept and no gravity of the bigger picture of what we're going through and what colonialism is and how we're struggling um so i did bring up uh, dr william smith you know he has wonderful articles about microaggressions and racial battle fatigue and he's written extensively about actually black people and their experiences and um, So, of course, it doesn't talk about the colonialism that Indigenous face, but they talk about racial battle fatigue being, um, you know, associated with high blood pressure and anxiety, frustration, shock, anger, depression, and, you know, trying to live in places that are historically non, like white spaces. And when you're not white, what that's like to live in. And, of course, I would also argue there's that historical trauma that's never really been faced in the States with the slavery issue as well. So, you know, I don't want to take away the black experience knowing what, how the slaves were brought on and, um, over the oceans, a lot of them dying. That's its own genocide. I wish we would be more honest about. And, um, anyway, so they talk a lot about, um, anti-black male stereotyping, um, hyper surveillance and control on campuses. And and it talks a lot about campuses. And I just found it really um, interesting that that came to my attention at the same time that uh, a wonderful um, article from CBC came out. And it was posted on October 13th, and it's Indigenous Students Question University's Commitment to Indigenization. Because back to the concept of reconciliation, we're talking about reconciliation, and a lot of the academic places who are typically white institutions and have not been open to Indigenous people, they're trying to do this so-called indigenization. And I know a lot of good people are putting a lot of good work into it, but ultimately, you know, a lot of students are still getting those racist comments and attitudes. And, you know, this is really important to me because I want to go to post-secondary education one day, but more importantly, my daughter will be going um, in less than a decade. So for me, this work, it, it needs to get done. So in the hopes that we can make it a safer space for, you know, the next generation. These are things I think about and I worry about. So anyway, the CBC news article put out by um, Ms. Payapot, fantastic, fantastic article. It has some wonderful quotes from many Indigenous uh, leaders, but it also talks about, you know, some of the truths that are really ugly. Um, just like anywhere across Canada, they have these like, you know, Calgary confessions. They have one called uh, You Saskatchewan Confessions, and it's embedded right in, in the article. And it talks about, you know, how, how much racism is still on these and how the university will have to say, well, that's not technically a part of us. So blah, 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 blah. And ultimately, a lot of indigenous people still facing ridiculous amounts of stereotypes. And Um, I had shared the article with um, Erica Violet Lee's quote, you need to understand colonialism to properly serve Indigenous communities. Because to me, again, nobody's talking about the the structural racism that comes through colonialism. Nobody wants to talk about those things. So we'll never change anything until this gets addressed. And, you know, to serve Indigenous communities, I don't know how many you know, universities and schools that I see is say, oh, we do, um, you know, addiction counseling, that's Indigenous um, competent, or however they put it. And I just think, you don't, I'm unless you say the word colonialism, like five times a day, I'm pretty sure you're not really addressing this. And I don't really think your people who are taking it will understand enough to properly serve Indigenous communities. So I thought, um, you know, just as Dr. William Smith put out, what it's like to be black and in the academic setting here is a great article of what it's like to be indigenous and supposedly these um, institutions trying to make efforts towards you know indigenous people being there but you know they have a a picture of christy belcourt and isaac murdoch and anyone who follows them would easily see on on twitter or on uh, facebook what happened where you know he was approached and Um, was accused of breaking into a car, and he's there doing this beautiful art piece. And, you know, it's just, it's so pervasive. It's 2018, and this is the type of thing that we're still coming across. And anyway, I I thought um, she ended her article in a really great way and had this really great quote from uh, Kevin Lamoureux. And he says, uh, when an Indigenous person can come to the University of Winnipeg and say that I feel like my experience here is meaningful and my identity was honored as any other student's identity should be. I feel like I am graduating with a degree that in no way comes at the expense of my cultural identity or my family or my own sense of responsibility to history. That would be success. You know, I think that's such a beautiful way to say that should be this, you know, goal of every single institution that um, is trying to indigenize that, you know, indigenous people can be indigenous and not be um, uh, negatively impacted by it. So if they need to run home for a funeral, being given that space, if they need an extension because they had to run home for a funeral, be given that space. But, you know, again, the idea of it coming at the expense of, I know many indigenous people who had to miss funerals had to deny their heritage just in order to graduate. And that that should be in the past. But we're just not there as a society. And I I just pray and I pray and I pray that one day we will be. So I just want to give a really big shout out to all those Canadian journalists that are doing this great work at trying to expose this information. And to all my leaders out there on Twitter, Native Twitter, who are, you know just, I wish you understood how validating it is to know where, even if we don't agree, we are a community and how much all of these things matter to me. So uh, I guess one of the uh, other things I wanted to bring to everybody's attention was uh, the decolonial Atlas. I retweeted it on my Twitter, but you know, it talks about the different ways to divide up North America. and it has the watersheds, the ecoregions, But it has two really great maps. Everyone knows the colonial settler maps that it has, but it doesn't always showcase the Indigenous territories. And it has a wonderful multicolored uh, map for that. So I think uh, I'm going to be reaching out to them and asking them if I can use that for um, some presentations. I do, obviously giving them proper credit because uh, really great work they're doing. So I just wanted to throw that out there for a lot of people. I hope that you uh, consider, you know, what reconciliation means to you, what decolonizing means, what um, indigenizing your your work, your space, what that looks like. And, you know, are you really honoring Indian residential school survivors or those that died? You know, really ask yourself that. Um I want to move on to a few things that are actually non-Indigenous related and I thought were really um, something to bring up that would matter to everybody. Um, Calgary Herald put out this article about um, the First World War and the Ukrainian-Canadian interim camps. And (laughs) anybody who follows my husband and I knows that we're scuba divers, or that we were before we had our daughter anyway. And, um, you know, we used to teach scuba out in Banff, and we thought we knew a lot more about Banff and the the coal mining town, the bankhead and that than most people because of the scuba diving that we did and some of the local monuments that were there. It was there that I had learned a lot more about, you know, the Chinese segregation because that was so clear. Yeah, so then when I came across this, this really hit me like a, a ton of bricks, and it in, in 1914, when they did the War Measures Act, so that that I know is the reason why they were able to flood Lake Minnewanka again, and the 18 or the 1912 dam was is now underwater. Um, you know that dam, the 1912 one, it it was there because they were able to do flooding before that as well. Always w- with this War Measures Act, able to do more, and then in the Second World War, they flooded it again. And that's the road that you see today. But what I didn't know was that in 1914, when that War Measures Act was invoked, there was about 8,500 people, mainly ethnic uh, Ukrainian immigrants, that were deemed um, enemies. And they were put into intern camps. So all of those wonderful um, sites that we have at the um, at Banff and that... That was at the expense of interned women, children, men in harsh labor conditions, building roads and clearing forest in Banff and Jasper. And I had no idea. Um, It left a terrible legacy of fear distrust, further amplified by the fact that the Canadian government destroyed records of the internment in 1954. So I guess that's why I didn't know, because just like the Indian Act, and a lot of policies that um, those uh, papers were destroyed on purpose so that nobody would know. Well, here's the same thing. The same thing happened to Austria, Hungary, and um, Ukrainian immigrants. So there's going to be um, a screening of Canada's first national internment operations here in Calgary at the Globe Cinema on the 23rd at 9pm, which I would freaking love to go see. So this... Um, you know, it, it, I think this needs to be part of Canadian history as well. Every kid in Canada should know this because I didn't, I literally just learned it from this one article and um, this was just posted. But the irony being I shouldn't have because um, it said in the article that back in 2005, there was a private members bill to establish the Canadian First World War Internment Recognition recognition Fund um, to fund this documentary. And I I never heard of it. So anyway, I uh, wanted to, you know, throw that onto the radar of other people because, you know, this is my local history. I didn't know this happened. Um, By Castle Mountain, they have a a monument now, uh, the Internment Camp Monument, and it acknowledges this. So, you know, I haven't seen that monument yet, and uh, I want to see this documentary, and I want to encourage other people to see it as well. It's called That Never Happened. So if you can go see it, go see it, and I'm hoping that uh, we can push our politicians for this to be a part of our Canadian heritage. Maybe this is something even Doug Ford could get on board. Doubt it, but maybe. Anyway, I don't mean to be such a jerk. But I, yeah, I do. Yeah, I totally do. I can't even believe you, Doug Ford. Seriously, seriously, put in the Indigenous education into Ontario kids. Anyway, um, Red Rising Magazine has a submission for issue nine. They're looking on the subject of Métis. They're looking to invite writers and artists to submit work on what does it mean to be Métis? Who is Métis? Who isn't? Who decides? Where's your homeland? What does parenting relationships and kinship look like to you? Uh, stewardship of the land, the duties to First Nation and Inuit relatives, politics and governance, language and culture. And yeah, their submission deadline is November 15th, uh, redrisingmeg at gmail.com. It's where that should be mailed to. So yeah, there's, I just wanted to throw it on people's radar in case you're a, re- a writer. I think it would be really great to see more people Um you know, talk about what Métis means to them because I think it's a lot bigger than some of the narrative that you're seeing on uh social media right now. And I want to encourage all people to consider writing. Um so I I went onto the Aboriginal Healing Foundation website. I know it closed down, but you know they still have some free works that are available to people. Um, you know, reports that are available and such. There's um a new study on lateral violence that you can just get on the PDF. Uh, You can just download, you know, Walking With Our Sisters. That has a little link as well. There's so much information on ahf.ca, so many PDFs. I just can't encourage people enough to go on there because I know for me, I heal by reading. I heal when I know I'm not alone, when I see people writing on Twitter, and when I read these um experiences in books or on pdfs i just know that that helps validate what i know inherently know and um you know if i'm ever struggling i always go to the aboriginal healing foundation uh, website so thank you for keeping that up and i just you know i want you to know how much it means to me as a person trying to figure out all of this so you know i ordered um domestic violence in Canada, sexual offending, decolonizing and healing, uh, indigenous experiences in the U.S., New Zealand, Australia and Greenland. And uh, I wanted to read the residential schools, prisons and HIV AIDS among Aboriginal people, exploring the connections. I paid 45 bucks for the teachers bundle because I want to be able to talk about it to I get asked to talk, is say, my daughter's school or at other places. And I just want to make sure I add as much as I can, always giving credit, of course. Um, and one that I thought was really great um, that I wanted to add, but I'll probably, I don't know how it'll apply to me. It says, understanding the challenges and healing of First Nation men. But I think for somebody who cares about um, issues of family violence, there's probably some real good points I can focus on when uh, talking in my, my regular work about how to better approach Indigenous men. Um, and then the last one I got, the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement, Common Experience, Payments and Healing, a study exploring the impact on recipients. So yeah, I thought um, that was definitely worth the investment. It was the shipping that actually cost the most, unfortunately. And I don't know with the, um you know, strike that might be coming up, how that's going to work. But that's okay. I got lots of stuff to read. And even when I have read something, I find that when I reread it, something new pops out and uh, sometimes helps in in my role of healing. So I think with that, I'm going to start wrapping up here. And I just want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be blunt and strong. My stepmom for showing me what a proud australian or austrian culture is through your roots your family and teaching me how to be a proud calgarian it's through you i'm a second generation calgarian and um yeah i i uh want to say thank you to my husband darcy for producing and editing the show on top of being my husband my childhood friend the father of our child and my support down the red road he's witnessed decades of racism and sexism that i've experienced and our child we are blessed to learn from you every day and we are so honored that you chose us you give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person Uh, my patreon account is native calgarian where you can pledge and support thank you to the previous donors for already showing your support if you value listening and can afford to give that's great thank you but for those who cannot afford to give i'd love to hear from you native at gmail.com send in your comments questions We are on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and nativecalgarian.com is up. And with that, have a great day.